गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीबडी आई स्निग्धा शर्मा आई एम गोइंग टू प्रेजेंट द हिंदू एडिटोरियल डेटेड नाइनटीन नवम्बर टू थाउजेंड ट्वेंटी दिस पॉडकास्ट इज फॉर दोस्त हु डू नॉट हैव टाइम टू रीड न्यूज पेपर दम सेल्स द एनालिसिस ऑफ द एडिटोरियल इज गिवन ऑन द लास्ट सेगमेंट ऑफ द पॉडकास्ट लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड हैप्पी प्रिपरेशन Amid a judicial slight, a flicker of hope on rights. It is reassuring that there is signal from the Supreme Court about thinking and speaking about personal liberty. This article is written by Ajit Prakash Shah. There can be no better way for a judge of the Supreme Court of India to mark his birthday by celebrating the glorious constitutional duty that has been assured. interested to him and his peers as office of the highest court in the land last week justice dy chandrachur did precisely this when he remarked we are a constitutional court if we as a constitutional court do not lay down law and protect personal liberty then who will it was a salve for those who have doubted the court's ability to protect basic human freedom in the country an expeditious hearing but even as the court seems to have shown some self awareness about an arguably long time the circumstances in which this statement was made diminished its value considerably the statement was made during the hearing that concluded in granting interim bail to tv act anchor Arnab Goswami in a matter that was listed a mere one day after the petition was filed the application before the supreme court was an appeal against the decision of the bombay high court to refuse to entertain mr goswami's habeas corpus petition citing procedure that no bail can be granted in a petition under article 226 of the constitution and requiring him to apply to a lower court for appropriate relief The Bombay High Court in issuing that order merely followed the law. In response, in a unique turn of events, Mr Goswami sought relief simultaneously from both the trial court, a session court and the Supreme Court. This is arguably the first time that an accused has moved to both the lowest and the highest court together. The larger concern here is the decision of the Supreme Court to offer barefacedly Mr Goswami's special treatment of an order that ordinarily citizen of this country cannot even dream of indeed the entire process starting with the original application at the sessions court in alibagh to the high court in mumbai to the top court was concluded in a total of only 7 days the extraordinary speed at which the judicial system seems to have worked to entertain mr goswami's plea is one thing to note but observers are also surprised that the supreme court listed the matter for the very next day after receiving the petition despite having placed the case under the defect list after identifying a host of defects at least 9 in this petition If similar leeway was given to every citizen the judicial system would be viewed with less suspicion and more benevolence 
In these circumstances, it comes as no surprise that an individual like Kunal Kamra, a comedian, makes certain remarks, albeit crude, on the series of unfortunate events. Arguably, this is the view of large section of general public. This case has now become a textbook example of what power and influence can do for you in this country. Mr. Goswami, whom I regard as an exemplar non-journalist in the Indian media today, covered his biases by being the loudest voice in the room. And his arrest had many in the corridors of the secretariat building scurrying to suddenly uncharacteristically defend a free speech. The executive's actions for the past few years, particularly since the Bharatiya Janta Party-led government took power at the center, the performance of the judiciary has deteriorated to disappointing lows. It no longer stands on the pedestal of a chief protector of freedoms. The government has done so much damage to the personal liberty, but the courts and especially the Supreme Court have watched this indiscriminate and often literally violent transpelling of dissent like mute spectators. This is hammered home in incident after incident and case after case. In the haphazard arrest of the students and teachers made after the Delhi riots, in the treatment of dissenters against the patently unconstitutional Citizenship Amendment Act, in the persecution of veteran public intellectuals and social justice leaders in the wake of Bhim Karegaon violence, in the blatant disregard of the case of the political detainees in Kashmir, the list is disappointing, disappointingly long and getting longer still. Most recently, the 83-year-old Jesuit priest and Tribal rights leader Father Stan Swami, who is suffering from Parkinson's disease and has been arrested in connection with Bhima Karegao, requested to be given a straw and a sipper in jail. Instead of granting him individual immediate relief, which would have been the most appropriate humanitarian response, the NIA National Investigation Agency Court gave the prosecution two weeks' time to reply. Elsewhere, the Supreme Court had earlier refused to entertain the petition of journalists from Kerala. Siddiq Kampan, who has been detained without any basis in Uttar Pradesh for over a month now, directing him to lower courts instead. The court has now agreed to take up the matter latest this week, only after the journalist family approached the court again, seeking similar treatment as Mr. Goswami asking if they were not citizens of this country. Bail application That the Supreme Court's lighting response to Mr. Goswami's plea is an exception to the rule is highlighted by the general position the court appears to have taken in the bail matters. In its April 2019 decision in NIA v. Zahoor Ahmad Shah Vatali on the interpretation of unlawful activities Prevention Act UAPA, the court essentially created a new doctrine that an accused must remain in custody throughout the period of trial. Even if evidence against the person is eventually proven inadmissible and the accused is acquitted, the Supreme Court said that in considering bail application, 
Under the UAPA, courts must presume every allegation made in the first information report to be correct, and the burden rests on the accused to disapprove the allegations. This is virtually impossible in most cases. The litigious, litigious impact of this is tragic. Bail hearings under the UAPA are now a mere farce, and a high barriers of proof means that the individual can be detained indefinitely. But wait, it gets worse. The Supreme Court's interpretation was on the UAPA alone and not on general criminal procedure, but it has left a glaring loophole for rampant abuse by the government, police and prosecution alike. It has now become commonplace for dissenters to be charged, usually without any valid proof, with sedition or criminal conspiracy and another UAPA. It no longer matters that evidence is weak. Once the UAPA is included in the first information report, lower courts have their hands tied. Bail must be refused outright without examining the evidence, for this is what the Supreme Court has directed. This pattern of arrest, first information report, prosecution and outcome have been followed in many cases involving dissent since the Supreme Court decision came about. The effect is dangerously reminiscent of the draconian preventive detention laws dating back to the dark ages of the emergency, where courts universally deprived people access to judicial remedy. A relegation. Whatever Justice Chandrachur might eloquently and passionately espouse in court, the bitter truth is that personal liberty has been relegated to the background in Indian jurisprudence today. A recent situation, uh, a recent study by the Indian Express of 10 cases involving free speech that were heard by the Supreme Court earlier this year revealed that the court gave relief only when the state and petitioners were in agreement and refused to do so when the state expressed objections. This article would not have been written if Justice Chandrachur's observations were the norm. That is, wherever personal liberty is involved, the matter is taken up to the next day and resolved at the earliest. But his observation comes as a ray of hope. It is reassuring that there is at least someone in the Supreme Court thinking and speaking about personal liberty. As custodian of the constitution, this is the bare minimum that a Supreme Court judge should be doing. Could it be that sentinel on the Quivive is slowly coming to life again? This is Ajit Prakasha, is a retired Chief Justice, Delhi and Madras High Court and former Chairperson, Law Commission of India. Thank you. Today, Decoding Biden's Presidency for India and the World His major preoccupation Preoccupation could be the difficult U.S. domestic agenda, India must revert to pluralist multi-alignment. This article is written by Krishnan Srinivasan. There was a time not long ago when Indian attention was not riveted on the American election results. Prime Minister Manmohan Singh and Narendra Modi have drawn India close to happening in Washington together with fawning on prominent Indian Americans and well-publicized warmth towards American leaders. Every country is trying to assess if a Biden presidency will be good, bad or neutral. 
Perhaps Mr. Modi does not know Mr. Biden well, but neither had he met Mr. Trump before Mr. Trump became president. Personal relations must never be overestimated as a guide to foreign policy, which is best developed on the basis of objective and interest. Hostility to a third country cannot constitute a foundation in a world with inconsistent priorities. Mr. Modi might have been prompted by the Indian community in the United States, but his Namaste Trump event of February 2020 in Ahmedabad was ill-advised. The Biden administration will forgive, but not forget. No wishing away Trumpism. Trumpism. Despite being world leader in terms of economy, military size, and technological powers, fear and hatred were predominant features of the American elections. Hatred for Republicans and Democrats for each other. Fear of what President Trump might do in vindictive destruction during the days before he leaves office. And dread that he might find some pretext not to quit at all. Offensive personal insults degraded the dignity of the process, and hatred of Mr. Trump translated into support for his opponent, even it was the elder, lackluster Mr. Biden. Fear caused the record turnout, with over 78 million voting for Mr. Biden and over 73 million for Mr. Trump. The two parties will suffer fragmentation and internal conflict. Trumpism still formidably popular as evidenced by the voting figures will devastate the already diminished liberal and moderate wings of the Republican Party while Democrats suffer clashes with progressive and centrists accusing each other for parties' disappointing electoral results. Of particular discomfort for America's image, Twitter, Facebook, and mainstream TV channels issued a warning on the veracity of Mr. Trump's message and his incitement to violence. There is apprehension that before President Biden takes office in January, Mr. Trump will cancel many Obama-era regulations. Noble various agencies promote his personal financial interests and issue pardons, including preemptively for himself against the threat of prosecution for crimes before and during his presidential tenure. With its president claiming for months that the polls were rigged, the simultaneous appeal of the American government to West Africa's court divorce on, on its presidential election to show commitment on the democratic progress and the rule of law was singularly ironic and the refusal of the outgoing administration to provide briefings for its successor adds grist to those who accuse the U.S. of hypocrisy. For decades, the U.S. situated itself as an arbiter for verifying democracy around the world, ignoring its own discrimination against Black, Hispanic, Native Americans and other minorities that make it difficult and often impossible for them to vote. One in 11 African-American adults is in prison, on probation or parole. 
a weakened america american global dominance has relied on economic military and cultural power and a foreign policy that operates on threat and force through its military deployed in nearly 800 bases in approximately 70 countries an extravagant use of direct secondary and extraterritorial sanctions which currently afflict on estimated 30 countries and territories Unilateralism based on presumed exceptionalism masks America's weakened morale and political authority and loss of confidence in its leadership. The US political system is dominated by powerful corporations and entrenched in interests which control politicians for their own interests and not those of the working population. Massive trade deficit revealed that the US is no longer a manufacturing economy. and collapsing social conditions are indicators of deficiencies ranging from healthcare to civic infrastructure india apprehends a lessening of american pressure on china as does taiwan russia fears mr biden would oppose the almost complete nord stream pipeline reprise his erstwhile campaigns against Russia and Eastern Europe and that the incoming team of Obama veterans will pursue an aggressive interventionist policy China fears more acute trade wars and an Obama era hostile pivot to Asia Israel and some Gulf states are warning against a diminishing pressure on Iran Venezuela Iran and Cuba hope for a modern moderation in Washington's Trump era hostility Europe seek a greater respect and consideration already these countries are laying down markers of their expectation Biden's concerns these fears and hopes may be unfounded Mr Biden's preoccupation will be on his domestic agenda in a country divided down the middle half the electorate is seething that with discontent stoked by Mr Trump Mr Biden must deal urgently with the novel coronavirus pandemic the economy and race relations in his short tenure he must work for a more equal society though mr trump has packed the supreme and federal courts with reactionary nominees the 2947 countries that voted for mr trump generate only 29% of gdp while 477 counties won by Mr Biden contribute 70% revealing the economic divide even as the stock market registers record gains Mr Biden is an emollient politician with political skills but because Trumpism looms so large much will depend on his relationship with Mitch McConnell Republican leader in the Senate The Senate has a right to confirm 1200 of Mr Biden's appointments and endorse of reject endorse or reject treaties and can frustrate restoration and membership of the World Health Organization the climate change accord the Iran nuclear deal and restoring credibility to the World Trade Organization in the United States not Britain is a nation of shopkeepers American business regards China as a major market and drivers drivers of its economic prospects as do Japan and Australia Without them Peter's driver driven for blatant political purpose of the Trump administration the future viability of the quad formation is in doubt
New Delhi should concentrate on building its economy and reset its external relations, reverting to the recently discarded formula of pluralist multi-alignment. The third article of the day is Reinventing Cities. A new urban development paradigm should focus on cutting disease spread. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's call for reimagining of urban planning and development to make cities and towns healthy and livable after COVID-19 reflects a reality of decrypt infrastructure aiding the virus spread. At the Bloomberg New Economy Forum, he emphasized resetting the mindset, processes and practices for safe urban living and acknowledged that governments actually do little for working millions. In the first 100 days of the pandemic, the top 10 cities affected worldwide accounts for 15% of the total cases. And data for populous Indian cities later showed large spikes that radiated into smaller towns. Rapid transmission in Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore and Chennai was the inevitable outcome of densification and inability to practice distancing norms. In globally recognized Dharavi, which has one of the world's highest slum densities, epidemiologists attributed a seemingly low viral impact to screening and herd immunity. The pandemic's full social impact, especially among the poorer quintiles, has not been adequately measured here or elsewhere. And as the Prime Minister said, it is only clear that the cities are not as they were before. If governments are serious about the reset moment, he likened it to a post-World War reconstruction plan. They must assist returning to business as usual. Good. Affordable housing is the cornerstone of a sustainable and healthy city. But it also represents India's weakest link. Unlike speculative housing investment, well-designed rental housing that is key to protecting migrant labor, and other less affluent sections remains poorly funded. Mumbai is estimated to have added only 5% of rental housing in new residential construction, 1961 to 2000, and that too led by private funding. The post-COVID-19 era, therefore, presents an opportunity to make schemes such as centers affordable rental housing complexes deliver at scale. Focusing on new good houses built by the state on the lines of the post-war reconstruction in Europe, Japan and South Korea. The Ministry of Housing, which has thus far focused on a limited set of expensive showpiece smart cities, could work on this imperative with the states, digitally aggregating and transparently publishing data on the demand and supply for each city. It is also an open secret that laws on air pollution, municipal solid waste management, and water quality are hardly enforced. And tokenism marks approach to urban mobility. Past scourges such as cholera, plague, and global flu pandemic a century ago led to change as sewerage, waste handling, social housing, and healthcare that reduce diseases. Governments are now challenged by the pandemic to show the political will to reinvent reinvent cities. The last article of the day is New Challenges.
India must not fight shy of engaging with the Biden administration on contentious issues. With a late night call on Tuesday between Prime Minister Narendra Modi and US President elect Joseph Biden done. Indian and US officials can ba- begin with their formal interaction on future of bilateral relations. The two leaders listed out their priorities according to separate statements issued by the external affairs minister and the Biden Harris transition team. According to the readouts, the leaders committed to strengthening the Indo-US comprehensive global strategic partnership and cooperating on global challenges including the COVID-19 pandemic, affordable vaccine, climate change and the Indo-Pacific region. Mr. Biden's readout also includes strengthening democracy at home and abroad, which was dropped from the MEA version, indicating New Delhi's discomfort. Critical and recent comments made by Mr. Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris over Jammu and Kashmir, the Citizenship Amendment Act and actions against NGOs should not make the Modi government shy from engaging with the US on these issues. Most remarkably, the leaders did not dwell on traditional security issues, global terrorism, conflict regions or even trade, but instead charted areas for Indo-US cooperation that are more in line with the current challenges and indicate Mr. Biden's own immediate priorities. On COVID-19, Mr. Biden and Mr. Modi have their work cut out. Given that US over 11 million cases and India over 8 million cases remain the top two worst affected countries and showing daily increases, making affordable vaccines available to their afflicted population will be the immediate challenge. On the need for economic recovery, their projected policies do not appear to be too divergent. Unveiling its administration's economic revival policy, Mr. Biden announced a plan to buy American and to ensure no government contract goes to companies that do not make their products in America. The Modi government has already launched its Atmanirbhar Bharat program on similar lines, with External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar making it clear that globalized economy and trading arrangements have been assessed as detrimental to India's manufacturing industry. On climate change, a decision by the US to re-enter the Paris Accord will be welcomed by India. And this is also hoping this is also hoping to promote cooperation on International Solar Alliance that it co-founded in 2016 over the France. But it is unclear that if Mr. Biden would revive the earlier US premises of funding green technology that Mr. Trump can cancelled when he walked out of the Paris Accord. Finally, it is significant that Mr. Biden expressed his commitment to Indo-Pacific policy, but New Delhi will be keen to see just what shape the new administration intends to take in its measure to maintain a secure and prosperous Indo-Pacific and how far the Biden administration will challenge India's move in the region.